but this is where my this is where my tool player comes in. I have Dandelaria as my tool player okay. because he can hop in at tight end. He can hop in at wide receiver, which I believe they like switched him to originally before making him a tight end. And if all hell broke loose, he could play quarterback. That's a great point. <laughs> so That's a great why point. Why waste a roster spot on another quarterback when my tool player can play three That's of them? That's a great point. That, you know, because he can be the emergency QB. Right. He's just like you said, God forbid Trader and Del Rio Wilson go down. You have a guy that can do it. That's Emily Liker, ladies and gentlemen, on a podcast that we did before the season began. It was a bonus pod where Emily and I decided to make a 53-man roster for Syracuse football. And as you heard right there, Emily said, gotta have Dan Villari. God forbid all hell breaks loose and you got to put him out there. And that's exactly what we saw tonight at Yankee Stadium. Dan Valari, 154 rushing yards. That's right, folks. A tight end playing quarterback leading the team in rushing with 154 yards. Syracuse grounds and pounds Pitt into submission and breaks a losing streak and takes down Pittsburgh tonight by a final score of 28-13. to 13. It's Brent Dax, it's Emily Liker, the seer of seers, the prognosticator of prognosticators on Syracuse Football Postgame, presented by Krause Health, the exclusive health care provider for SU Athletics. Emily's at Yankee Stadium. I'm here in Syracuse, New York. And uh, take a bow, Emily. I mean, you knew at some point this was going to happen, right? There you go. Yeah. You know, I, I just do my best. I do my job. I get in, I get out. <laughs> incredible and it was a weird night at yankee stadium for sure syracuse had 399 total yards 382 of those on the ground laquin allen and garrett schrader adding to the mix garrett schrader is a story in and of itself and what the quarterback position looks like at syracuse right now so look short term a win is a win syracuse did what it had to do it was as creative and out of the box as we have seen this Syracuse offense be in weeks. It was by necessity, but you did what you had to do to win a football game, get to five and five, and a bowl bid is still a conversation. The conversation surrounding Dino Baber's job will not die down, but it will quiet down for a little bit in the next week or so before Syracuse gets back on the field at Georgia Tech next week. So, Emily, a win is a win. They did what they had to do. And as Dino was uh, talking about in postgame, I saw a little bit, and you were there. Uh, this was by design. I mean, this was a game that celebrated 100 years of football at Yankee Stadium. And it, at times, it felt like we were in 1923 watching a football game. Yeah, you know, er early in the week on, on Monday when we talked to Dino, he had made a comment that was like, you know what, I expect this to be another defensive game. And I think at the time we all thought, oh, that's probably because both quarterbacks, like top two quarterbacks, seem to not be available, which we can get into in a second. Um, and it, it does sound like maybe their their game plan hadn't come to complete fruition until Tuesday, so maybe he still wasn't quite sure Monday. But yes, this was this was certainly premeditated, and I think there were a lot of things that went into it besides whatever's going on with Garrett. Um, I think. Syracuse saw and has seen in, in Dan Villari and Quint Allen two players that it needs to get the ball to. And, and that's what they did. And you know what? Did it look weird? Were there moments in the first half where it felt like, oh, God, this is not how you can win a football game? Um, <laughs> yes. 
but they, they got it done and and that's what matters and dino said it and i i agree with him like this is the definition of a team win the defense had four turnovers in this game three of them end up with touchdowns and that was as big as, as it got the running game was huge but you had Jaden bellamy with that pick six which was big emily because on the uh, uh two plays prior to that it's fourth and goal and Syracuse decides to, I think LaQuint Allen wanted to throw the ball. I think yes. he was going to the right. It looked like maybe it was the old tight end throwback. Maybe Dan Valari was going to be the target on that play. And he had to pull it down and try and run in. He gets knocked out of bounds before the goal line. And then you're like, oh, boy, this offense just, you know, it, it, is Pitt going to take advantage of this? No. No, they don't, because Bellamy runs in the pick six. Terry Lockett falls on a fumble. That results in a Valari touchdown. So, look, Emily, this Pittsburgh offense is awful. This Pittsburgh team is awful. Pittsburgh is in dire straits. That team yeah. is falling apart. This is an epic collapse. Uh, to, to see and hear what the Pittsburgh fans and media are saying about this team, I mean, you thought Syracuse fans were up in arms last week. This is a Pitt fan base that is certainly up in arms, to say the least. I mean, that team almost flat out quit last night uh, in this game tonight. They had a bunch of injuries, and so it can be worse, Syracuse fans. As much as the state of affairs is still a conversation among Syracuse football, they're a win away from a bowl. Pittsburgh is just a flat-out disaster under Pat Narduzzi, and that pick six that comes two plays after they make a defensive stand uh, speaks to that as much as anything. Right. And like, I, I do think that it, that is important context that we, we need to address in, in talking about how this offense operated in talking about the, just the win itself and, and Syracuse being able to put up 28 points again, like Pitt, Pitt is not a great team this year. So like if this will work next week, if they even stick with this game plan for next week, remains to be seen. Um, Georgia Tech is a much different team. I, I don't want to look too far ahead. I think they're very much a team that plays up or down to whoever they're playing. And so that could create for a very interesting dynamic. They are looking for their sixth win and are going to be on their home turf. So that's all going to be interesting. Um, tonight was certainly interesting. And you know what? It was it was fun to get to watch interesting football again for so yes. many for so many weeks. It's just been it's been a lot of punting. Not that Jack Stonehouse can't be inter entertaining to watch, but it was good to get to watch entertaining football again. And frankly, where was that in the prior weeks here? I mean, Syracuse didn't have didn't get this creative until they literally had to cuz here's the interesting thing about this. Garrett Schrader couldn't throw the ball. He did have a touchdown pass in the first quarter. It was a short pass to Max Mang, tight end touchdown early in the game. You think uh, Valari would be the target there, but Max Mang, who has uh, a very short list of receptions in his Syracuse career, but he caught that touchdown. Emily Schrader clearly looked um, in pain. He reached over and grabbed his shoulder after that, and it became apparent very quickly that he couldn't throw the ball, which makes Pitt's effort all that more pitiful, frankly, that you knew exactly what Syracuse was going to be doing and couldn't stop it. But we mentioned the variety and the way that they mix things up. Just on the first drive of the game, direct snaps. LaQuinn Allen's back there in the Wildcat. They're throwing pitch outs. They're, you know, they're, they ran as many different formations and plays on the first drive than we had seen in recent weeks to add to what you were saying about finally seeing some creative football out there. So Schrader doesn't start last week. He's in civvies. He doesn't even, he's not even available. And then coming into the week, we didn't know because Garrett and Carlos Del Rio Wilson did not talk to the media. You're keeping a Hawkeye on pregame, Emily, and you got Luke McPhail out there taking first-team snaps. Mm -hmm. You've got Braden Davis 
you know, you need somebody to throw the ball in pregame warmups, right? And we're going to get to this. I mean, you have a, a situation where you don't have a quarterback that can throw a forward pass. Okay. That works in 1923. It doesn't work in 2023. It did work in this game. And then Schrader, he had 96 yards, a touchdown pass, and one backflip, which was just why? Why? Did, did, I have did, the story. Oh, you have, have the story. story. Please <laughs> tell us why the backflip. Well, okay. So someone did. Someone did ask Schrader. It wasn't me, and unfortunately, I don't remember who it was in the press conference. But someone asked, like, why? How? Um, this was in a point in the game where Syracuse, I think, was leading, but had just like punted the ball away three times and like wasn't doing much offensively. So a lot of the reaction online was, why is Garrett Schrader doing a backflip when he's not throwing the ball and can't throw the ball? Garrett said like no one on the team knew that he could do a backflip. Somehow this came up like yesterday at the hotel talking with members of the team. Um, and that that play they run, if I'm correct, and I believe I am, it was a double fake pass of Valari, mm-hmm. like tossed it off to LeQuinn. And then LeQuinn, I think, I think it was maybe Alfred that he targeted downfield. Yeah. That went incomplete. But Garrett was saying how like usually on those types of plays that are kind of kooky like that like you have like a lineman do a cartwheel or like something silly like that and so in talking about it last night Garrett was like but what if I just did a backflip <laughs> everyone's like everyone was like haha Garrett it's so funny like you can't do that and then he did it and everyone was like oh you actually can do a backflip and he was like yeah I was just kind of like spur of the moment I decided to do it Dino didn't have any idea um he said he didn't see it which I didn't see it in the moment either I didn't see it until the replay but um, certainly interesting. I think the tone around that moment shifts a little bit because they came out with the win. Um, but very interesting, very interesting indeed. Well, interesting to do in the sense that he didn't play last week. They still haven't really clarified the injury situation. He's obviously got a shoulder injury because he can't throw the ball right on top of what it was. Maybe that's what held him out last week. And he's out there doing backflips in that situation. He's a man of many talents, Emily. He can fly airplanes. Yeah. He can play the guitar. And now we know that he can just do a standing backflip back uh, on a football field. Really incredible mm-hmm. to see. Okay, that's the good news. The bad news is you don't have a quarterback on your roster that you feel comfortable putting on the field that could throw a forward pass. Okay, that's yeah. an issue. Carlos Del Rio Wilson, do we have an update on him, by the way, in postgame, Emily? No, I, I didn't really get a chance. There was a lot of additional people here obviously being being at Yankee Stadium and stuff sure, like that yeah. so post game format was just a little different in, in terms of how much we got to ask and stuff but I mean we didn't see Carlos in in warm-ups at all so seems like he was unavailable I believe actually um it, someone did tweet I think it was Jason Beck's agent did tweet that like Carlos was sidelined and was like completely unavailable we know he got injured at the end of last week's game um so, yeah, I mean, pregame, we're waiting forever again for Garrett to come out. Uh, and the first two people I see are Luke McPhail and, and Braden Davis suited up. And, you know, like, it, if I think if Garrett had been completely unavailable, it, it probably would have been McPhail, which is, like, insane to say. I don't think they they trust Braden enough, considering he's a transfer um, and hasn't been with this team as long. Like, McPhail at least has, like, the veteran snaps, and I think – that's why we saw him warming up the number one guy and kind of airing some out and like testing with the receivers. Um, but yeah, just 
baffling to see that pregame. And, and when they left the field, I tweeted and was like, well, we'll, we'll see what happens. But Schrader definitely can't throw. We didn't see him throw at all in warmups. Obviously, I think he throwed he threw twice during the game, but neither was very significant. And I was like, I don't know how this will work exactly. Handoffs and handoffs only for Schrader and McPhail comes into pass. That's like essentially what happened, but replace McPhail with Valari. And if we had known that they were considering letting Valari like act like a QB again, then I would have definitely said Valari would be the one to do that. But earlier in the week, Dino made it sound like that wasn't even a consideration. So I, I wasn't even thinking that they were going to do that um, and was thinking they were going to have to use. Yeah. McPhail, Valari but- did his, his Taysom Hill impression out there, Emily. And while he was impressive, Valari has certainly been one of the more colorful people at uh, media availabilities the past few weeks. He's been honest and it's been appreciated to hear what he has to say. LaQuinn Allen also spoke to the team this week. He had 102 yards on the ground. I don't want to leave him out of the conversation because he had some, you know, true ground and pound, grounded out type of runs. We mentioned the snaps he took at center and the Wildcat. I haven't had an issue with LaQuinn pretty much all year, and it's nice to see him, you know, kind of have the numbers to back up the effort, which just hasn't been the case at times this year by no fault of his own, just by the way games have gone. Valari, though, had some uh, ball control issues, right? This is a guy that, I mean, God bless him, he's going in there and he's playing, you know, like a a fifth different position and mixing up a bunch of things. But there were a couple times the ball came out of his hands, Pitt knocked it out of his hands. He ended up with the yards that he did and making a huge difference. But, Emily, you've got an entire team of wide receivers. I mean, we knew this coming in, but it really was emphasized with the quarterback issue the way that it is that are just useless, on the field, and you can't have that. It's one thing if you can't get them the football. It's quite another if you have somebody who literally cannot get them the football. And, look, I don't know the deal with Braden Davis. I know Luke McPhail. I mean, is I've seen nothing or heard nothing from him that would indicate he should be out there as a thrower. Yeah, I go back to training camp, and we were at these practices, Emily. I think I even turned to you a couple of times. I said, oh, he's, he's got a pretty nice arm. He's a big kid, 6'5". But obviously, he's new to the program. They don't trust him enough to go out there and throw the ball. We mentioned the situation with Carlos Del Rio Wilson. Garrett's arm is not going to get any better between now and Georgia Tech. So it worked tonight. Can it get you two more wins the way you're doing this? Maybe it will. Maybe you've become like Georgia Tech, triple option. This is who we are. You're Army now. Like you have, It took you 10 games to figure it out. I don't think so. But when I look at 17 receiving yards... And I look at the receiving stats, Emily, and this this is what they are, okay? Garrett Schrader, one catch for six yards. Max Mang, a catch for five, which was a touchdown. You had um, Wright, a catch for four yards, Elijah Wright. And then you have, uh, let me see, LaQuinn Allen with a catch for two for a total of 17. I mean, you can't have that in 2023 in college football. You did what you had to do to win this game. But now Georgia Tech's got that film, and they know exactly what you're doing and will have a much better approach and will have all week long to figure it out. And you're not fooling anybody with what's coming out next week, uh, the Dan Valari show and everything we saw tonight. You mentioned Georgia Tech plays down to their competition. They got smoked by Clemson today. But Georgia Tech can score. And you look at some of the points they've put up this year. They're not particularly good against the run either, but – 
Pat Narduzzi flat out admitted in a sideline interview, Emily, he's like, we have no idea. I'm paraphrasing here. He's like, no, we don't know what this is. I think the reporter asked something like, did you expect this from Syracuse? Nobody expected this from Syracuse. So I don't blame Pat Narduzzi there, but Georgia Tech's going to be expecting it. And Syracuse just seems to be grasping at straws now. It does feel desperate. It worked tonight, and I give them credit for switching things up and saying, hey, we got to figure out this game in front of us, the old one-game-at-a-time cliche. Can you do it two more times? It's going to be very, very difficult to do. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting thinking about, like, how this will affect the Georgia Tech game in, in multiple fronts. And I was just looking. These stats obviously haven't been updated for um, – this week's game yet. And I do think Georgia tech lost today um, at Clemson. They did. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Uh, Georgia tech's defense is at the bottom of the conference, like number 14 in total yards allowed um, an average per game and stuff like that. And their offense is number two in that same category. And I, I can't believe I'm saying this after the past five weeks of Syracuse football that we've had, but I feel like next week could end up being like a high scoring shootout like it, it just feels like that is where it's heading like obviously like Syracuse's defense is is a lot better than than Georgia Texas and so maybe they're able to stall this Georgia Tech offense a little bit Haynes King their quarterback did throw like four interceptions today against Clemson um so we'll see but it, it is I think interesting to consider the fact that they'll have the game film on this and we'll be ready for it um going back to the receivers too like this is all like speculation and and like just like thinking about mentality but i almost wonder like does showing the wide receivers that you don't need them maybe make them work a little harder to prove that they can take care of business as well because yes it's going to be harder when another team has game film to to run this style of offense but it worked worked well enough for Syracuse tonight and and the guys that have been proving all season long that they are the stars of this team offensively Valari Allen I I will keep Schrader in there even despite some of his struggles just because the coaching staff remains very high on him um and he's obviously dealing with outside things that affect performance like injuries but um like I I just wonder if like the wide receiver mentality, like if this is like a wake up call for them for these last two episodes or these last two episodes, these last two. It's games. a real wake up call in general, Emily, uh, yeah. because what we heard about Jason Beck's offense from these players in camp and even the first few weeks of the season is how exciting it was and how high tempo it was and how it emphasized the passing game. Obviously, the orange is the new fast up tempo offensive-minded approach that Dino Babers came in with, showed for a bit, and a sense that it has not fallen any further than where we are now. So again, when you judge the macro versus the micro here, it's a fascinating discussion. And look, you got to do what you got to do, and you got to change on the fly. I remember in 2012 when Syracuse was led by Ryan Nassib, and they had a completely different idea what they wanted to do offensively, and they actually went to they used to go to training camp uh, for a few years up at Fort Drum. And when they were up at Fort Drum, they discovered what they called their NASCAR offense. And it was just supposed to be their their high-tempo, two-minute offense. And, Emily, that became the offense because they said, well, this is what we're good at, okay? Mm -hmm. Well, that's a little different than this situation. This is by sheer desperation, and I think it's got a shorter expiration date. Can you get through it with two games? You don't have a choice. 
because you don't have a quarterback that can throw the football and how they find that. You mentioned the receivers have to show out. They can have the best week of practice ever. If they don't have a quarterback that can't get them the football, that's an issue at this Mm -hmm. point. So, hey, I give credit to Beck and Babers for pulling out all the stops, being creative. It just this game felt different from the very beginning and credit where it's due, especially with all the heat that was surrounding this team. And they were really coy about everything all week long. Dino loves the cloak and dagger game as it is. This was like his his dream situation in that. And they showed a clip on social media, Emily, harkens back to the whose house, our house chance that Dino had after his initial first big upset as head coach when they beat Virginia Tech and that speech mm-hmm. and they he kind of replicated that with Yankee Stadium was our house tonight and uh, speaking of which Emily what was that atmosphere like just being at Yankee Stadium the crowd and o- old school uh, open air press box for you there like you're covering a baseball game and just uh, the experience of this game celebrating 100 years of football at Yankee Stadium. Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting. We were, I was here a year, not 11 months ago, which also got referenced a lot because um, Laquin Allen's first start um, for Syracuse was 11 months ago in the Pinstripe Bowl when they were here, yeah, here last. And he had another big game tonight, his fifth game this season, over 100 rushing yards. Um, you know, it was interesting. It was not a huge crowd. It did um, round out a little bit uh, towards halftime. It was, I will say, it was a loud crowd. Like there was, definitely some raucous moments and some of those bigger plays when you saw like Valari or Allen breaking away or, or Bellamy's pick six certainly um, kind of lit the venue up and, and got people going. Um, otherwise, like it, it honestly was just like a Syracuse home game in a different venue, like, and it, which it was like, it was just a home game that they, they sold. So it could be like a neutral site game and they could make money off of it. Um, but like, besides like the graphic, like being like, oh, like a hundred years that would like just stay on the screen during dull periods. Like there wasn't like a, oh, the Yankees came out at halftime to do anything. Like I was, I I was surprised they didn't play it up a little more with anything like in game. Um, yeah, it was just kind of a football game that happened at a baseball stadium. There you go, which we're used to. Because like you said, yeah. pinstripe bulls and Syracuse played Notre Dame there in 2018. This is kind of old hat at this point. And they tried to make a whole weekend out of it, right? And as John Wildhack has said repeatedly leading into this, economic considerations were there. Her made a heck of a deal, right? And the money that came in from this, Syracuse won't typically do this. Uh, to Wildhack's credit, I guess. I'll give him half credit for this. This should have been a home game at Syracuse. Uh, but Syracuse had not beaten Pitt at home on the road, so why not try a neutral site? And this was a pitiful Pitt team that they got. I think they kind of lucked out in that situation. I'm not trying to take anything away from what Syracuse did, but Pitt is an absolute mess right now, as you saw on the field in this game and as you've seen Pitt leading up to this. What, what if you had to – did they announce a, a crowd number, by the way? If you had to um, put your thumb on it, like oh, what do you I think the it. actual attendance was? Well, it's on the printed stat sheet that I got left while I was at the presser. 17,101. I'm not sure what the capacity at Yankee Stadium is for football. but Let that, me look. Yeah, let's look that up. But it, it didn't seem like a ton. And, and just the crowd shots that we got and some other people that were tweeting photos and things of that nature. I mean, 17 sounds like the, one of those tickets sold versus butts and seats kind of numbers. But... 
Yeah, the full capacity is 46,537. The upper the upper deck was not open. Okay, the low, so that the, takes away the some. middle, the middle and the lower decks were. Okay, so. there you go. A couple more things here, Emily, before we get to some voicemails. I brought this up a moment ago, and I think it's it, it bears repeating. Dino Babers needed a reprieve. Okay, what this kind of reminds me of, I call it the tea kettle theory. The tea kettle was screaming on the burner, right? You know, when you're making tea and that thing's going off and you're in the other room and it starts screaming, like you've immediately got to go get that tea kettle off the burner because of that noise. The tea kettle's been going full blast for the past couple of weeks. The heat's been there. The fan base up in arms, particularly after the way that Syracuse lost to Boston College. They've lost five in a row. The status of Dino Babers in the conversation there is going to be there for the rest of the year until we get some kind of definitive answer on that, either by what their record is, some kind of statement from John Wildhack, whatever the case may be. But it's got to feel good for him. It's got to feel good for the team. I think even the fans, a lot of people tweeted me and said something along the lines of, hey, listen, I'm happy for the team. I'm glad to see them win, but this doesn't change my opinion on things. So we'll see how that rounds out over the next couple of games, whether a bowl game is enough, if it's six wins, if they can get the seven wins with this new ground and pound approach that they have. So it's a temporary reprieve, but it was a needed one because, man, it felt like that's all people were talking about when it came to Syracuse football, and there's no better cure to that, to what ails you, than to go out and win a football game, which they did tonight. Yeah, you know, uh, Dino definitely dropped a couple a couple comments in his postgame presser um, speculating about what we would have written if they had <laughs> lost this game. He, he got those licks in, um, as I expected him to. That is how he how he responds to these. He pays attention. Things. Yeah, um, I, I, right. Like it's such a football cliche. But like everyone takes things week by week. And like this is a big, big one week dub one one game victory like it makes you feel good for another week but like you can't you can't ignore the trends like one one instance of something does not just push away the five instances of the complete opposite happening like you have to you have to constantly look at the bigger picture even if you are celebrating something small happening which is like completely justified to celebrate something like this like i mean Let's be honest. We, we we all predicted that this was going to be a low-scoring game that Pitt was going to win despite Pitt being the team that it is. And we were wrong, and that's fine. We are not always right. Uh, we are human beings. Uh, so, right, I, I think every everyone that is in your mentions and my mentions saying, I feel happy for the team and, and still think things need to be considered, I feel the same, like, same way. I think that's completely fair and completely justified because – one win after five losses does not just erase five losses. Like those five losses still happen. Syracuse is still only one in five in the conference, which matches Pitt's ACC record. I think now it will be tied with, it'll be Syracuse, Pittsburgh, and Virginia, barring Virginia's result. I don't remember if they've played yet either. Oh no, yeah, and Virginia all at like one in five at the bottom of the conference. Um, and conference win percentage is what dictates conference championships ships now. So like, even if they come out of this season seven and five, four of those wins are non-conference wins that don't have any bearing on whether you make it to a conference championship or not. So 
you still got to look at the bigger picture coming out you of do. this. And, and there are still a, a lot of bad to parse through, even in this moment of brightness. But given Dino Baber's November record, anytime he wins a game in the month of November, you almost celebrate it twice as hard because uh, they've true. frankly been a rare instance for Syracuse football in his tenure. All right, to the voicemails we go, ladies and gentlemen. And if you want to leave us a voicemail, you can do it at any time. 315-552-1964 is the number. Leave us a voicemail anytime on all matters of Syracuse football. And the smash mouth mentality of this game was on the mind of many callers, including Ed here. Hey, congratulations to Cuse. Shades of Floyd Little, Larry Zonka, Tom Coughlin, and Rick Casada in the backfield. Old-time football, smash-mouth football. The only thing we're missing was the uh, sing- uh, single T and the maybe the model T. <laughs> yeah, this game, it, it kind of reminded me, and they showed some of the grainy old footage from the 1920s. Yeah, it was. It, it, it's kind of like one of those old newsreels, Emily. Like, ah, the Syracuse football orange went out there and uh, beat on the new forward pass. They didn't need to do that with the ground and pound approach that the orange had on their football field and in the Bronx at Yankee Stadium. I mean, that's <laughs> a plus, Brent. That was phenomenal. I've worked on that a little. I've worked on a little. That's my old timey radio voice guy. <laughs> Back to the phones we go here, Emily, and this is Jeffrey who left us a phone call message about the old school playbook. Brent, Jeff, break out the leather helmets. Syracuse brought an offensive playbook that they used when these teams first played in 1916, and somehow they're winning. I don't understand. Garrett Schrader, at one point in this game, was the leading rusher and leading receiver, and it wasn't that early in the game. (laughs) I don't get it. Weird game. Cool, they got a win. I do hope they intend to throw the ball a little bit if they intend to get number six. But, hey, I guess we'll take it for now, right? I would say we should not bring back leather helmets. CTE is an issue. (laughs) Um, Otherwise, yes. And I liked the phrase Dino used post-game. He was like, we wanted to stir up the ghosts at Yankee Stadium, which is like that. That's some good writing right there. I don't know if he scripted that or if he did that off the cuff. (laughs) We'll just leave out the fact that it's the new Yankee Stadium and not the old one, and there's no ghosts in that building. But that's okay. I, I get what he's right. I get what he's going for there. Uh, to our guy, uh, let's actually go to someone who uh, called us from New York City, Emily. Let's listen in. Hey, Brent, this is Jarrell from Brooklyn. Um, I just finished watching the game, and the only thing that comes to my mind is that Dino Babers is officially playing with house money. If Syracuse goes to that triple option, triple option offense that they ran today against Georgia Tech and Wake Forest, the former who has the worst Russian defense in the league, and he manages to win one, if not both, of those games, Syracuse is going to find itself in a very, very difficult position. How do you justify firing a coach who's gone to bowl games in back-to-back seasons? And that's what we talked about even before the season began, Emily. Get to 6-6, six and six, get to 7-5, and five, no matter how you get there, that would have to trigger some sort of uh, contract extension. You go into next year with Dino. I think that conversation changed based on how they lost those five games, how this season has looked, how it even looks at this moment. I still think you can, to be honest, but maybe the more time fades away from that, people forget it and just look at the bottom line of the record. Two games to go. 
anything can happen. And, and Syracuse was in this spot last year, Emily. It was kind of a different scenario because they started 6-0 and and were free-falling and went into that last game against Boston College, beat the Eagles, got the reprieve, got the bowl game, and it was almost like relief. No matter what it looks like, they're kind of going for the same thing this year with two games to go. Mm-hmm. To North Carolina we go and our friend Dominic. Hey, Brent. Hey, Emily. Um, this is Dominic in North Carolina. Um, what a win tonight. It was fun to watch. Um, it would not be fun to watch if I was a Pitt fan um, to be to um, lose in a game plan that's about 100 years old, but <laughs> I'll take it. Um, I actually think it was um, some of Dino's best coaching probably since uh, he beat Clemson. Um, I also think that it took uh, big, uh, big cojones. Um, not to be rude to you, Emily, but um, to, to to only throw the ball six times in 2023, unlike um, that's what they probably did in 1923 um, when they played this game 100 years ago. So um, give it out to the coaches. They, they definitely outcoached the pit coaching staff. Whether or not the pitch, the pit coaching staff knew this is what their game plan was or not, um, you, you have to be able to rewrite your defensive script and, and tackle people. Um, you know, which is what I yell at the screen usually every other week when people are running for 300 yards against Syracuse. So um, it was a great win, and um, again, great coaching, great game plan. Um, it was fun to watch. On to next week. There you go, our friend Dominic I'm, in North Carolina. Yeah, I am curious, and this is this is like unfortunately something that we will probably never have a ton of clarity on just by nature of how Dino talks about the program and the fact that we don't get to talk to the coordinators and assistants really ever. But I am, I'm curious if it was, if it was Dino or Jason Beck, who was like, this is what we're going to do this week. And, and how that, that came to be like, we, we talked about that a little bit and like it, it, Dino made it sound like a collaborative effort and they introduced it to the team and there was like some hesitancy at first because the players were kind of like, what the hell is this? Like, how are we going to do this? <laughs> yeah. Which, like, understandable. Like, I get being, like, 21 years old, and they're like, we're going to run an offense from the 1920s. Like, it's going to work for you guys. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping to write a little bit more of that for tomorrow morning or, or maybe Monday morning and get into a little bit more of how that how that was done. But it remains unknown if it was a Babers idea or a Beck idea or both. I'll say this. If it was 43-year-old Jason Beck as opposed to, what, 63-year-old Dino Babers who thought of that or uh, even uh, Rocky Long who's been in football <laughs> for 50 years, then I'll credit to Beck for, for going as old school as you can get. Again, I think it yeah. shows how far the offense has fallen and generally and how depth is still an issue on this team, but it worked for him tonight. Emily, this is not the last bit of audio we will play, but it is the last voicemail we will play. Oh. And you know who we always say for the the last spot? Give me Rock and Ron. (laughs) Here we go. Hey, Brett. Rock and Ron in Florida again. Just want to let you know I don't know how to go into the next week. No, we got to win. But before that happens, there's about two or three things got to be taken care of. They better get this quarterback situation throwing the ball taken care of before then because we're not going to run 370 yards against the next two 
opponents. Believe me, they'll be stocking the, the, the line. And number three, I love Velarde, but I'll tell you, you better teach him how to hold the ball. Good luck, Orange. Go for it. We need one out of two. I don't know if we'll get them. Cross our fingers, boys and girls. Later. There he is. The one Thanks, and only Ron. Rock and Run. A lot of great points in there, for sure. Can they do it the next two weeks? Valari's got to work on the next couple of weeks, particularly with defenses targeting this team. The ball control issues and just spot on as always from Rock and Ron, our guy in Florida. Fantastic. But I did note, Emily, this is not the last bit of audio we are going to play. Uh, we started the show with it. We're going to end the show with it. We are often oh, wow. reminded how wrong we are. We were <laughs> wrong about this game. All of us picked Pittsburgh. But we were right about this. And we will end on this note. Uh, thanks to everybody who watched and listened tonight. Thanks to Emily for a great reporting from Yankee Stadium. Thanks to our friends at Krause Health, the exclusive health care provider for SU Athletics. Our next Live post-game show, Tuesday night. Mike Waters and I from the JMA Wireless Dome as the Orange take on Colgate, a big basketball game. Didn't used to say that, Emily, but Colgate has beaten Syracuse two years in a row, and this is a big one, and start of a brutal stretch on the schedule for Syracuse basketball. We'll be live on our basketball channels here on uh, Brentax Media on Twitter or subscribe to Syracuse Sports on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, Amazon, wherever you get your podcasts, and you can listen to it in podcast form like you can for this podcast. So, Emily, before we uh, head on out with some audio here, thank you very much. We'll talk to you again soon. And once again, the seer of seers, the prognosticator of prognosticators, oh, Emily boy. Laker. But this is, where my, this is where my tool player comes in. I have Dan Valari as my tool player okay. because he can hop in at tight end. He can hop in at wide receiver, which I believe they like switched him to originally before making him a tight end. And if all hell broke loose, he could play quarterback. That's a great point. <laughs> so That's a great why point. Why waste a roster spot on another quarterback when my tool player can play three That's of them? That's a great point. That, you know, because he can be the emergency QB. Right. He's just like you said, God forbid Trader and Del Rio Wilson go down. You have a guy that can do it. 